WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. On Monday, CMS will be under, under new leadership. Former CMS Superintendent, uh, Interim Superintendent Hugh Hattabaugh will step into that role once again, now a decade later. It comes after the CMS school board voted to fire Ernest Winston in a 7-2 vote. Since the school district decided to terminate Winston for convenience, as it's called, it will pay the severance of about $24,000 a month for the next 24 months, as required by his contract. One of the main reasons for his firing, a gap in educational outcomes that has only widened under his leadership. WCNC Charlotte's Shamaria Morrison has more. This board is meeting today to terminate Superintendent Ernest Winston's contract. The CMS Board of Education fired now former Superintendent Ernest Winston during a pivotal time. It's budget season, students' achievement levels are low, and violence continues at schools. On April 25th, Hugh Hattabaugh will lead the district until a permanent replacement is found. Board member Ruby Jones, who voted against firing Winston, said she's not familiar with Hattabaugh. There's been no formal introduction and meeting collectively with us. Um, so I'll be delighted. Uh, I was told that I could give him a call. I think the protocol around such <laughs> is very <laughs> scary indeed. Hattabaugh served as interim superintendent back in 2011. Shamaria Morrison reporting for us there. While falling test scores and rising violence were among some of CMS's most notable failures this past school year, public records reviewed by WCNC Charlotte's Nate Morbido shows delays and communication failures also plagued the central office. When you're the boss, every major decision reflects your leadership. I wanted to see a comprehensive safety program by the end of the first semester, and I haven't seen it yet. Whether it's the district's slow reaction to guns on campuses and delays implementing other key decisions, both cited as concerns in a newly released independent investigation. Many are mentally, physically, and emotionally simply drained. Or a mistake by a vendor that alerted already tired and overworked teachers about hours of mandatory training near the end of the school year. As Ernest Winston put it in a February email addressing that tone-deaf failure, there's some damage that can't be undone. While board members mainly cited the district's need to improve student successes and outcomes in the classroom, in addition to Title IX problems and questions over the handling of public records requests, two who voted to fire Winston expressed other concerns in February. Just days after, outraged parents shared disappointment that the district approved suggested reading that included graphic language and undertones for their high school students. Here's an excerpt from the book describing the rape of the 16-year-old main character. Sean Strain called the silence from the district on the topic deafening. Rhonda Cheek wondered how parents are included in the decision process, warning parents deserve notice. Otherwise, they will choose to leave CMS. In response to the criticism, Board Chair Elise Dashu told Winston and his deputy superintendent she supports his decision-making regarding what's best for students. On that same day, emails show she received a leadership presentation compiled by district administrators and principals, listing, among other things, three guiding principles moving forward. The superintendent will not allow inequitable treatment of students. The superintendent will not deprive students of access to course offerings that are rich, diverse and rigorous, and the superintendent will not neglect students' social emotional health, wellness and development. Two months later, she and six others voted to fire Winston. 
Another recent change here at the central office, CMS's assistant superintendent for communications recently left his job here to take a new one elsewhere. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. For many parents, the conversation now turning to the Board of Education and what role they play in decision making. The board has a lot of responsibility and you, the voters, are the ones who choose them. WCNC Charles Chloe Lester now shows us how you can make your voice heard this fall. They make most decisions for the Charlotte Mecklenburg School District. Without objection, the agenda is adopted. The Board of Education has five primary responsibilities, including employing the superintendent, deciding budgets, and establishing policy. It was the nine board members who ultimately voted on monumental COVID protocols, like hybrid learning plans and how long students wore masks in the classroom. The superintendent only gave his recommendations, but it is the superintendent's job to comply with, implement, and enforce the board's policies. It's the people who elect the nine Board of Education Education members to their four-year terms. In November, all six district seats will be on the ballot. It's something that affects yours and my life daily. Board of County Commissioners, Board of Education races. These are these are very important races. That was Chloe Lesner reporting for us there. The filing period does not open until July 25th, so no one knows yet if the current board members will run again or who their potential competition could be. It also leaves a few months for you at home to decide if you want to run for one of those seats. Coming up, we continue our series of interviews with city council at large candidates. After the break, incumbent Braxton Winston. Joining us today, Charlotte City Councilman Braxton Winston, who is once again running at large. Uh, Braxton, thanks for coming on. Good to see you. Oh, good to see you, uh, Ben. Um, all right. So uh, what is your number one priority if you get reelected? Well, uh, again, thank you for having me. If, if I am elected to my third term on City Council, I'll continue to work for a more equitable, accessible and interconnected Charlotte. And I really think uh, that, that uh, as we try to build mixed income communities that provide the type of um, uh, uh, the equity situation that, that we desire, the implementation of the comprehensive 2040 plan um, is going to be integral in this. Uh, we passed that last year um, and, and we are implementing this in steps. Uh, we will get through the UDO process this summer, um, but then that will lead into the small area planning process. I mean, and that is where the rubber is going to uh, uh, really hit the road to take a term uh, from one of my colleagues on how uh, we change the growth strategies um, that have created the most inequitable city over the past 50 years um, and, and really flip the paradigms uh, uh, to, to get towards that equity lens that is so important. And what do you think, we, we talked about the Charlotte 2040 plan uh, at length on this show over the last year or so, um, and what do you think is the biggest part of that for the next council to, to address specifically uh, when it comes to implementation? Well, it really is going to be that small area planning process and to, to, for the council to wrap their, our, our, our minds around um, how we utilize the tools that are provided um, in the UDO uh, to carry out the, 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 the goals um, uh, that are laid out in the comprehensive plan. Um, so along with that, we're going to have to get our constituents um, smart about how to organize in their neighborhoods. Um, and how to, to um, really map, map out um, their areas uh, so, so that uh, housing is able to, 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 to increase in, in, in the amounts, but also the housing types, so that businesses are able to thrive al alongside of them. And, and, and so that transportation is planned for um, and is invested in uh, to get people from their homes to their businesses, to school um, and beyond. 
Uh, you, you mentioned transit and transportation. Um, we know that will also be a, a big priority for the next council, uh, as it looks like this uh, this referendum is not going to go on the ballot for for this year, November, for the um, sales tax that would help pay for it. So, you are on the intergovernmental uh, intergovernmental committee. You're the co-chair of it, I, I believe. And a lot of the criticism around this whole um, effort has been a lack of coordination between the city and some of the regional stakeholders and the city and the uh, state lawmakers up in Raleigh. What do we do to change that? Well, again, that's going to come part of that's going to come from city council. I, I was very uh, disappointed uh, that uh, city council decided uh, to take a kind of laissez-faire approach. Um, uh, myself and Mr. Bakari and some other folks on the intergovernmental committee um, are, were, were really trying uh, to uh, create a policy where we did go out and, and talk to other elected leaders and other community leaders um, to form coalitions, uh, to go on a listening tour, uh, to be a partner to other. Uh, people in our region. Um, and, and for one reason or the other, uh, my colleagues uh, didn't, um, well, not enough of my colleagues agreed to do that. I think that was a fatal mistake. Um, and that's the feedback that I've been getting um, from other partners, both in, in government and beyond. Uh, so I think we need to change that moving forward. Um, there's not, there's, it's not too late to do that um, now in this term, um, but if it takes till next term, that's important. And I think we we're, we're, we're really um, uh, uh, need to uh, re-engage with our private community. If we, if we, we shouldn't reinvent the wheel here. If you look back at the history of Charlotte, uh, 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 Look at Duke Energy. Um, Duke Energy really got started in this community 100 years by building what? Electric uh, uh, trolleys uh, uh, and making that work. There is an interest, there's a mutual benefit um, for business to get behind this, um, uh, to, especially when you look at um, how ESGs are getting uh, are getting rated, um, uh, equity, uh, uh, social and um, environment um, ranks. I don't think city council has engaged uh, the, the Fortune 100 companies that we have to figure out how we can not only use public dollars, but use those public dollars to be leveraged amongst private dollars, the way we do everything else uh, to really get uh, to move these ideas forward. And I think that's the types of innovation um, um, our constituents have been wanting us to do. But again, uh, uh, we have really taken that hands-off approach, and I think that's been fatal in this process. So how do you change that, though? I mean, you say hands-off, laissez-faire approach for this council. Uh, going forward for the next council, assuming nothing happens in the next couple of months, uh, what do you do to change that? Well, I'm, again, I'm going to continue to push um, uh, intergovernmental approaches. This is something um, that I do in, in, in a, uh, while I'm governing right now. But, of course, this is something that I'm running on. Um, so we will have a very different city council no matter what um, of, after um, September once, once it's installed. Um, and my hope is that I, can, I will keep um, banging this drum um, and enough of our, my constituents will, will, uh, will agree with that um, and we'll get folks um, installed uh, uh, that want to do this work. Um, like I said, there are some on city council that uh, do want to take that pro approach, are comfortable with, with taking that approach. Um, and, and, and I believe uh, that we are heading in a direction where we'll have the leadership uh, to, to, to take approach uh, similar to that and to, to move away um, from uh, this reliance on, on consultants to tell us what to do. Um, uh, last two questions, it's a two-parter. Uh, in your mind, the best thing about Charlotte and then the thing that drives you crazy about Charlotte? 
Well, again, I, I, th I think the people, uh, of course, uh, the people are, are, are the best. Thing. Uh, we have such a diverse uh, community. Uh, we are a community where one in five people are foreign born. People don't really realize that. Um, we're, a three, we're a city of 300 uh, square miles. Um, there are ties that bind us that, that make those 300 square miles distinctly Charlotte, um, but every part has its own flavor. And, and I love being at large member and being able to go all around um, and, and see those different parts and interact and, and, and from, from Margaret Wallace Road to, uh, to Sunset, uh, to Mallet Creek, uh, uh, to Arrowwood, um, you know. What frustrates me the most is that, again, we know uh, how to do some of these big things. We have the resources to take big steps, um, but too often uh, we do what is the safest. We kind of minimize the risk like we do, like uh, uh, I, I guess uh, taking that finance, that finance sector uh, point of view. Um, we have the resources to do big things and we need big things to solve the issues that, that we have. Uh, so I hope that uh, we will uh, continue to find, um, uh, find ways to be brave um, uh, and 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 shoot for the moon, um, as as opposed to just looking uh, right in front of our nose for the solutions. All right, Braxton Winston, uh, at large member of City Council, hoping for a third term. Braxton, thanks as always. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Ben. All right, more flashpoint after this. All right, welcome back to Flashpoint. Joining us today, Kerry Olitsky, a Republican running for City Council at large. Kerry, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, so number one priority if you get elected to city council. So for for me, public safety is definitely the number one thing, maybe followed by education. Um, but for, for me, I want, I feel for city council, we need to keep our citizens. And so I want to be able to support our Charlotte Mecklenburg police. I think they are a great uh, police force and I just want to make sure that they feel respected. They feel that we're in communication with them and ultimately um, being able to do their jobs even better by for us to keep for them to keep us safe by giving them um, and helping them getting the resources that they need to make sure that they can do their job more effectively and efficiently. Um, I hear you and I think a lot of people hear you and, and, and say that sounds great. That sounds good. But are you by then saying that, inferring that current city council is not doing that? Well, I think there was, um, from what I've been able to hear um, and, and and speaking um, with people, I don't, it sounds like there needs to be more lines of communication that are open. Um, I'm not saying that they did it poorly. I'm just saying I think that it could be better. And, and um, public safety, uh, you say number one. After public safety, what do you feel like are some of the other priorities that you feel not only yourself if elected, but but the entire council should be tackling right now? Well, I, you know, I said education, and what I mean more so by that is not not just obviously education in terms of the traditional sense that we're used to with schoolings and things like that, but um, in terms of educating people in skills that for for uh, workforce development um you know there's there's a lack of jobs in terms of first responders there's also we we see that in terms of the busing that there there's lack of jobs there and i think that for in terms of making transport 
transportation more efficient, we could be able to fill those spots. And so being able to provide um, training and skills into our residents to be able to fill these things, I think can act as twofold to not, over, not only provide jobs and fill those spots, but also be able to give back into the residents to allow them to have livable wages so that they can support their family to, to allow them to be able to live in the homes. But we know that, you know, rising cost of housing is a huge issue. And so this might be an opportunity for us to be able to allow people to have those livable wages to and um, to support themselves. You, you mentioned affordable housing. That's one thing that, that this current city council has been, has been grappling with and mm -hmm. will likely continue to grapple with. Um, what in your mind can be done about something that is so vast and, and so complicated and reaches just about every part of the city? Yeah, it does. I mean, I even know we bought our house back in 2018, and I know that I couldn't afford my house now. And so we're seeing this across the board in the city. It is a huge issue. It is a very complex issue. Um, and that's where I feel like going back into being able to support residents and to give them skills to be able to do the jobs that they can support themselves and also giving them access to home ownership. Going forward, when we look at the, the transit plan, the transformational mobility network plan that includes, you know, different rails, buses, mm -hmm. uh, greenways, uh, sidewalks, the whole thing. Um, how are we going to finally get it done? I mean, I think all of these, all of them intertwine, right? We have transportation and housing and um, the jobs, all of them are intertwined and it is um, a massive thing to undertake. I think in the short term, one of the biggest things we need to look at uh, or and find more solutions for are the efficiency of the transportation, getting people to be able to their jobs on time and making it be reliable. And I brought up the fact of, you know, there's, I know that uh, cats drivers, they're trying to fill those positions. Um, and so I think if we can get more bus drivers there and allow the transportation to be more reliable, um, we can be able to support some of these other things that we're trying to work on. Um, and again, bringing it back with transportation and public safety, I really do think, you know, I'm, when you drive by, you constantly see people on the side of the road waiting for their bus stop and there's no um, supporting structures to be able to protect them. I think protect them from on you know traffic coming in um of and you know people speed so it's we have to watch for uh bystanders safety as well as also against the elements um or if they're having to wait there for long periods of time so i'd love to be able to see um structures to be able to support them while they are waiting for their bus to come and pick them up i think it's been um maybe edwin peacock longtime flashpoint the viewers will correct me if i'm wrong i think he might have been the last republican at large member on council that was going back about 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. How do you hope to, to break what is a, a, a streak here in this city of electing only Democrats to at-large seats? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously gonna be, um, it, it's gonna be an uphill battle, but I think people are starting to kind of see, and, and one reason why I actually got into running, I didn't have, an, have a real big push to run, but what has really pushed me to run, especially this year, was that we were seeing, um, a decline in our city in various points and everyone has more of a passion one way or another but um for me we're seeing more people rise up and stand to want to make a change in the city um, and i think also people residents are seeing that too um, they're seeing where where we were and where we are now and um i think they're I think they're wanting to see that change. All right, final question. It's a two-parter. Um, your, your, your favorite thing about Charlotte uh, and the thing that drives you crazy? 
Um, so I think most people can agree with me that the thing that kind of drives us crazy is the traffic and congestion that we're seeing in, in Charlotte. Um, but on a positive note, you know, Charlotte is so active. When I moved here from Raleigh six years ago, one of the ways I tried to get involved into the city to try to meet people were just being as going to all the activities there had to offer festivals, you know, there's boot camps, there's run clubs. Um, as a provider, a medical provider, I want to see a safe, balanced, healthy city. And I think Charlotte, you know, especially pre-COVID, I think we're getting back to that post-COVID, but it is such an active city. It has so much to offer. Um, you know, the line is Charlotte's got a lot. I really think that's true. And I was really happy to move here and meet so many different people of all different backgrounds because there was so much to offer that we could get into and uh, be a part of. Carrie Alinsky, Republican running for city council. Carrie, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Before we leave you folks, come interact with us on social media. Let us know what you think, and we'll see you back here next week for another edition of Flashpoint.